I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Have you ever watched an apocalyptic sci-fi movie and wondered, could any of this really happen? I'm Carrie Bechet, and on Hypothetical, we explore what-if questions two ways, through speculative science fiction and through insight from the world's most brilliant scientists. And spoiler alert, your favorite sci-fi movies aren't nearly as far-fetched as you may think. Time travel with me into our possible futures on Hypothetical. New episodes every Tuesday available on all podcast apps. That's Hypothetical, H-Y-P-E-R-T-H-E-T-I-C-A-L. Realm Presents Dark Heights Season 2, Episode 6. Majo, begin journal entry. I was restless. Even though we'd escaped Israfel and were safe, for the moment, in the covenstead of the Chantresses, I knew it wouldn't last. I could feel the adversary at work, mobilizing to find me, scheming to trap me. Looking out the balcony window of the apartment over the busy old Pasadena downtown streets with their shops and restaurants, everyone oblivious in their separate lives, it was easy to imagine a world entirely devoid of watchers, archimages, chantresses. What kind of world would that be? None of us had left the Covenstead in days. It was too dangerous. But there were only so many times I could lose Ticket to Ride and Settlers of Catan to Eleanor. Finally, Dalalay judged it was safe to leave the apartment. Nomi had gone shopping for me. Some real clothes to replace the orange windbreaker suit that was all I had. What she brought back for me fit well. Dark slacks, a few business casual button-down shirts... A navy and dark gray sport jacket. I appreciated the new attire, but nearly a week had passed and we hadn't done anything. Eleanor, Nomi, and Dalalay weren't taking any of this seriously enough for me. 
The Chandrises felt they had time and space to think, to plan, to breathe. They'd never been hunted by the Watchers. They must know of your existence, I said to Eleanor and Nomi. Dalalay was in her room, asleep. I'd only ever seen her come out for meals, half awake and barely responsive before going back into her room. Nomi was playing a racing car video game on the apartment's very large, very expensive LCD TV. Eleanor was at the kitchen island, working on her laptop. She looked at me, irritably. Of course the Watchers know about us. What don't they know about? And you're telling me now that the Watchers are planning on... What exactly? Eradicating humanity altogether? Eleanor grimaced. Yeah, it's seer magic. What I'm best at. I mean, I'm good at everything else, too. Nomi cut in. What she's trying to say is that she's seen the future. Pretty clearly. Eleanor finished. The Watchers don't all agree at the moment about what to do with us mundane mortal people, but they're going to come together unanimously and they're going to go to war against all of us. I don't know when exactly, not like a hundred years from now, not ten. It happens soon. I thought about the card reading I had done for Lina. That night we met at the Crazy's Diner in Park Heights. I'd also seen the future then in my cards. Her death at my hand or mine at hers. And you think Lena is instrumental in the outcome of this war? I know that she is. And you've been helping her from here. That's right. We have. And other sisters have from where they are. The Watchers won't tolerate it. We're no threat to them, Nomi said. Neither are you, to be honest, Eleanor said under her breath. You've changed that, though, haven't you? By helping me. You sided with me against them. The two Chantresses exchanged a look. Nomi said, You might have a point. Anyway, I wouldn't have made it out without your help. It was fun. That car of yours, quite something. Nomi beamed. 1967 Dotson Roadster, quite a bit modified, though. Eleanor said, She's gendered her car. It's a he. She's in a relationship with it. That's an exaggeration. I needed to say more. The car is one thing, but how on earth did you become such an expert driver? I take him out to the track whenever I can. Lots of practice. Also, she's magic. Eleanor interjected, looking up from her laptop. Nomi shrugged. True. It's what I'm good at. Kinetic magic. When I was a girl growing up in Tennessee, I was always tinkering with my dad's old pickup out back. It was a wreck, but then one day I made it run. I remember my dad coming out the screen door, just standing there, staring at me. Then we had a talk. How had I done what I'd done? I didn't know. I was just putting things together the way I thought they should go. My dad said, you were healing it like it's alive. It was the first time I understood I was like my mom. I was gifted. Eleanor had been listening closely. There was a sadness in her expression. She said to Nomi, 
But your mom was gone by then. That's right. They put her in the hospital a few years before. She didn't survive the isolation or the therapy, which was what they called what they did to her. Eleanor met my eyes. She said, You were never the only institution to persecute us. Dalalay emerged from her room, yawning. Is there coffee? Nomi looked at her. It's three in the afternoon. I'll make the coffee then. You don't have to shout. Without much momentum, she drifted into the kitchen and started haphazardly collecting the things she needed to make a pot of coffee. I'll help you. I took over from her. She sat down gratefully and watched me with only the barest sliver of interest. Putting the pot under the tap and filling it, I took the opportunity to ask Dalalay at least some of the questions I had for her. Back there, in the car, you said you were interfering with the Trinities. Maybe you can try to explain that to me? Dream magic, she said simply. I thought so, but I don't think I understand what you were doing. That's an unexplored area for Archimages, isn't it? I had to agree. The Order was never interested in dream magic. Too many uncertainties. Too much creativity required. Archimagean magic is order and reason, focus and will. I know. Try not to sound too condescending. Are there coffee grounds somewhere? Up in that cupboard. Was your former order aware of the watcher called Urizen? That stopped my coffee making for a moment. Yes. In theory, there was never proof of his existence. Our name for him was Somnus, the sleeping watcher. We always wondered if William Blake had written about him. Considering your use of the name Urizen, I guess that debate is solved. <clears throat> ages on ages rolled over him. In stony sleep, ages rolled over him. Dalalay was unimpressed. Are you mansplaining right now? What is that? No, just going on and on. My apologies. I was trying to answer your question. I know. Urizen is asleep. You guys figured out that much, at least. He sleeps, and his dreams are everywhere. They're in all of us. It's not directed. He's not aware. He's asleep. It's more like a poison or a toxin that makes us numb on some deep level, makes us less aware of how we are connected to each other, makes us more easily controlled. When we find it difficult at best to feel that deep certainty of how much we have to lose. I was staring. My God, I know you're not lying to me. But you kind of hope I am. Unfortunately, no. However, that's not the most pressing issue for us. All of that has been going on for a long time. Like what Blake wrote. Ages rolled over him. About 20 years ago, something shifted in Urizen's dreams. I was a toddler then, but anyway, the Watcher started directly targeting people. The sister who taught me was convinced this had never happened before. 
I considered this. The Trinities. That's when they began to appear. Hunting me. Hunting the Archimages. Division 13 was created in 2001 so that the Watchers now had their own dedicated paramilitary force. Urizen's dreams are the primary method of control for the agents of Div 13 and for the Trinity operatives. She laughed a little. I'm sure it was pretty weird that I was asleep in the back of Nomi's car. But I've learned how to ride on the outskirts of Urizen's influence. I can slow the Trinities down. It's how I knew where you were. I was listening to them. They were awake. You weren't. Dreams touch on the subconscious. I'm able to move between minds. I can communicate when I'm asleep with someone like Eleanor who understands the signals. And those Trinity operatives, their minds are open at all times to Urizen's flood of subconscious imagery. Easy for me to wedge myself in there. Just a little bit. I looked at her differently now. That is... just... That's incredible, pal. Thanks. Nice of you to say so. Eleanor and Nomi were standing close to us all of a sudden. What's going on? Eleanor took Dalalay's hand. It's time for us to look in on Lena. And it's time for you to finish making coffee? The three chantresses worked together, seated on the floor at precise acute angles to one another, creating the immaculate geometry necessary for magical conjunction. All three were cross-legged, eyes closed, their hands locked in that stilted gesture, palms upward turned, forming a cup that I had now come to associate with their magic. They were oblivious to me in the apartment. I could hear the whispering, sing-song chanting that Eleanor had begun, and then Nomi and Dalalay had joined in unison. There was a moment. At the kitchen counter, all three young women had phones plugged in and charging. I started with Nomi's, password locked, then Eleanor's, hastily, also locked. Dalalay's was not. I should have started with hers. I took out Madero's business card and texted him, then fumbled with the phone in an attempt to erase the record of that text. But would the text disappear from Madero if I erased it on Dalalay's phone? I didn't know. I'd have to rely on Madero having resources to retrieve a deleted text. I nearly forgot to plug the phone back in. And when I returned to the Chantresses, they were already finishing, stirring from their trance. Coffee's ready. Nomi stretched, not looking at me. Dalalay went to pour herself a coffee. Eleanor adjusted her glasses. It's not good. Tell me. She shook her head. I can show you. Please. You'd better sit down on the couch. I like a story that will take me to extremes. And nothing says extreme quite like The Last City, a new Wondery podcast available now. Set in 2072, the city of Pura is a geo-engineered paradise that protects fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. Demetria Lopez heads up Pura's public relations, tirelessly promoting the city's idyllic image. 
which, given its promise of being a miraculous green haven in a climate-ravaged world, shouldn't be too hard to sell, but things are not always as perfect and shiny as we'd like to believe. When she stumbles upon a dark secret that could lead to the downfall of Pura's existence if revealed, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Nomi sat down next to me and booted up her video game. Dalalay watched us for a moment, sipping coffee, but then she mumbled something about needing to be somewhere, and she went back into her room. Eleanor moved the coffee table aside and knelt down. You ready? Sit up. Don't slouch. Put your hands on your knees. She folded forward to press her forehead onto the floor. With outstretched arms, she placed both of her hands on top of my hands where they rested on the knees of my slacks. All at once, I received a rush of sensory impressions. I felt a fire burning me out from within. I saw Lena shivering in the dark. I smelled the dank mold of an underground bunker, chemicals, antiseptics, the sharp prick of a needle going in, Lena's screams of pain. I don't know if I broke the contact with Eleanor or if she did. Regardless, I had jumped up from the couch, insensible to myself, burning with fury. I marched one way, then the other, shaking. Then, in the hallway between the kitchen and the bedrooms, I whirled around and punched my fist through the drywall. Like that helps, Eleanor muttered. They're killing her! They're stripping her power away because of me! Allow her some agency? She chose to learn from you. I chose to teach her. Eleanor changed the subject. I don't think you would have felt it, but she isn't alone. Someone is taking on the burden of her pain. Some of it, at least. What does that mean? I'm not sure. It's not someone I've sensed before. Eleanor looked inwards, examining her thoughts. It's another girl, connected closely to Lena. Not a watcher. A young woman who's trapped there at the mansion. Marius won't let her leave. Not until she proves her obedience. But now I see it. This girl's in shock. 
Too much has happened to her, and too much keeps on happening. She's not going to survive this ordeal. Not unless we help her. It's Lena, and we need to break free of that place. You're right, but Majot... Do I call you Majot, or Gabriel, or Mr. Majot? There's another thing happening, and it might be important. Go on. It's complex. Seer magic isn't perfect, but sometimes when I'm scrying Lena, I see Will, too. And I'm pretty sure he's in L.A. He has something of yours. I think he's looking for you. You know where he is right now? I do. Then I need to go. Nomi sprang up from the couch. Can I drive? I'm going to travel to him. Tell me where he is. And so I found myself in a trendy coffee shop somewhere in downtown L.A. For a moment, the sun through the street-side windows obscured my vision of the interior. Then I saw Will at the back, looking at his phone. For all the world, he looked like any ordinary boy in his late teens, swiping on his phone, sipping from the straw of an expensive, frozen coffee concoction. He looked up at me as I approached. Holy shit, he said, standing up from his seat. I said, we don't have much time. No, we do. The Watchers can't see us. I'm blocking them. Maybe they can't look in on us, but they can trace my location. My being here was like a flare shot up right into the sky above us. He said, I was going to order you a latte, but I guess not. I folded my arms across my chest. You have something of mine, I believe. When I'd reclaimed the Hello Kitty backpack in Skid Row, my deck of cards had felt wrong. The weight of them, their aura. Sure enough, Will took one of the cards out of his front shirt pocket. I was hoping that would work. He gave it to me. I snapped it out of his fingers. Then I snuck the card into my own shirt pocket with a disappearance flourish. Cheesy, he said. You're not like your sister. You look like her, but you're different. He regarded me, waiting for me to finish. You have their power, I said. So does she. It just... It hasn't worked for her. Not really. Not yet. I saw what Marius is doing to her now. Will looked away. There's a girl with us. Her name is Tess. I need your help. We have to get her out of arson. We can free her. Together with Lina. No, that's not possible. Lina belongs there. It's not negotiable. He stared at me, exasperated. How can we do it? I'm not able to take them from that place. If I traveled in, Marius would be all over me in moments. I wouldn't make it out. Tenebrae is there too. Even more so, then. Can you get Lena and Tess outside the estate? Somewhere neutral? Somewhere unexpected? I don't know, but even then, even if you get them out, we'll always know where Lena is. Wherever in the world she goes, we'll know. My dad will know. It's just not possible. I sighed. There happens to be a place I know of. I can take her there. Sirens sounded from down the street. The two of us broke off talking, our heads swiveling at the same time to look at the front door and the windows. A police cruiser went past at full speed. I have to go now. Wait! How do I get both of them out of arson? Come up with a plan. 
Well, it'd been there, in my dream, at the very beginning of all of this. He'd been standing next to his sister at the fundraiser at what turned out to be nightfall. In the dream, he'd had a gun in his hand. When the real events took place, he'd been holding one of my cards instead. Just as he'd been holding one of my cards here in this cafe. If it was true that Lynn and I shared a fate, it was also true that Will had a part to play in how this would unfold. A thought came to me. Had Dalalay sent me that dream? The Chantresses had been busy. It's time to go, but this is yours now, I think. I held out the card from my deck that Lena had taken, then given to her brother. The path that returns. It will serve as a link between us, calling me through it. Will took it in his hand. I felt the card leave me. Having given it freely away, I felt the severing of myself from it. A candle flame instantly snuffed out. I felt the magic of my deck dissipate into nothingness. Later, when I returned to the apartment in Pasadena, I would open up the Hello Kitty backpack, take out the deck of cards, untie the snakeskin band, I would deal out every card in the deck. Every card would be blank. You go first, Will. Hurry. I'll travel back to where I was. He wasted no time in exiting the cafe. Looked both ways, up and down the street, as if we were being watched. I had to smile. He'd find a way to get Lena out. I knew he would. It was my turn to leave. At the front door of the cafe, Juan Garcia Madero came in. We saw each other immediately. I walked up to him. Got your text, he said. Shall we walk? I have your word the Trinities are standing down. You have my word. What about Will Severant? Madero glanced at me. I'll have to report his movements. I can only do so much. How much did Madero understand about Division 13? Was he aware of Urizen's influence? Was he under that influence? He seemed to have a special place at the side of the Scholar now. You could delay the transmission of that information. I suppose I could. Where are we walking to? Nowhere in particular. I decided then to speak my mind. What I did to you, it was wrong. It was done out of pride and spite and rage. I regret it. I've always deeply regretted it. Madero stopped walking. He met my eyes and for the first time he let me see his pain. It was the scar of an old wound worn smooth, an intrinsic part of him. The pain was what defined him. Little Wing, I haven't told you everything. It damns me. In the aftermath of the battle, I crawled back to my sanctum in San Francisco, my one-room hourly rental above a mahjong parlor in Chinatown. The shuffling of the tiles all night and all day from the floor below was a sound like a ceaseless waterfall. I lay on the pallet in the room, fevered, recovering from the sorrow. And when I reached out with my awareness, I felt him. I felt 
Madero. He was on leave from assignment due to stress. He was working in his garden in the backyard of his house in Hillsboro, knees down in the soil of a flower bed. I felt his wife, Maria, they were newlyweds, come up behind him, laughing and chattering on in Spanish about her sister, her nieces and nephews. Madero felt himself seize up as she came near. How was he going to be able to be with her now? She loved him so much. But he was frozen. He was lost inside the moment at the top of Coit Tower, pulling the trigger of the assault rifle, trying to understand what had happened. I made him move. He knew immediately that something outside of himself, someone other than himself, had dominion over him. There was still a connection between us, and I used it. I forced him to rise up from his knees. I forced him to walk out to his car without another word to his wife. For days, I used him to search without success for my brother Archimages, for those who had not fallen in the battle had fled to safety and gone to ground. I did not let him sleep or eat. From my room, I held on to him with only my will, in a grip like a fist closed to crush his throat. Then, very suddenly, his body gave out. He fell unconscious to the ground. In that moment, my connection to him was severed, spent. At the time, I did not care if he lived or died. He was an agent of the adversary and deserved what I did to him. On the street in L.A., Juan Garcia Madero held my gaze with his haunted eyes. Major, I want you to know what happened to me and to my Maria. I'm here. Tell me. I was in the hospital for a long time, and I made a full recovery, physically, but not mentally. I was afflicted. Maria left me a few months after our daughter, Ana Lucia, was born. Because I refused to see the baby. I refused to believe she was mine. I am sorry. I want you to know this. I want you to see what you did to my family. I see it. I love my daughter. Madero walked through a long silence. I hardly ever saw her. Custody was difficult, and I didn't come out on the winning side of it. Ana Lucia has her own family now. I have a granddaughter and a grandson. I've never met them. Truly, I am sorry for what I did. For so many years, it was all I wanted, all I thought about, killing you, erasing you from the world, murdering the image of you in my mind. He didn't say anything further. I said, it's changing now. Division 13 has never had oversight. It didn't matter to me until now. We're stockpiling armaments. I don't know why. At the top levels, there's been a shift in directive. I said, the Watchers, you serve the Watchers, and I'll continue to do so until the end. You don't have to. There's a beginning here. There are others now. It's not only me. You can help us. You can join us. Madero pointed at himself, finger to his temple. 
They're inside, though, aren't they? These watchers. <laughs> like you were. Maybe I've never been myself. What does it matter who I fight for? All of it is a lie. There was nothing I could think of to say to him. We walked together. The evening was coming on, drawing darkness down from the sky. Madero called a taxi. He said, when I see you again, we'll be at war. I won't fight you. The advantage goes to me then. The taxi took him into traffic. You're listening to Dark Heights Season 2. Dark Heights is a Realm production. Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Have you ever watched a futuristic sci-fi movie and wondered, but wait, could any of this really happen? And will I live long enough to see it? That's what our show Hypothetical is about. I'm Carrie Bechet, and on this podcast, we ask what-if questions about the future. Like, what if we could read minds? What if the world's digital data was erased all at once? What would happen if the Yellowstone supervolcano erupted? Then we explore that question two ways, through speculative science fiction and through dialogue with brilliant scientists. The result is a genre-bending narrative that's interwoven with real facts provided by literal geniuses. And, spoiler alert, a lot of the science fiction out there, it's not nearly as far-fetched as you might think. Come time travel with me into the future on Hypothetical. New episodes on Tuesdays available on all your favorite podcast apps. Just search Hypothetical. That's H-Y-P-E-R-T-H-E-T-I-C-A-L. Dark Heights is created and written by C.D. Miller. Produced by Marco Palmieri, Fred Greenhalge, Kaylin West, and Haley Wagreich. Executive produced by Molly Barton, Marcy Wiseman, and Julian Yap. Starring Dion Graham, Julia Whalen, and Neil Helligers. Sound design, editing, mixing, and mastering by Kaylin West. Original music by Chris Miller. Music supervision by Marcus Bagala. Production manager, Alexis Latshaw. Cover art by Kendall Thomas. Executive in charge for Realm, Mary Osadolahi. Find more shows like Dark Heights by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm.